Welcome! You're listening to audio of Bible teaching from Island Community Church in downtown Memphis, Tennessee. At ICC, we are being transformed by Jesus to impact our world. Wherever you are as you listen today, we want you to know that we love and appreciate you. We're so glad you're here. We hope today's message will help you grow in relationship with Jesus. You can access more gospel resources and ways to connect with our church at iccmemphis.com. Thanks again for joining us. Well, good morning, everybody. I am Barrett Bowden, lead pastor here at Island Community Church. It's been over a month since I have preached, and so I'm sorry to say I'm back. It was just a joke. I'm um, glad you laughed. Well, this morning, I am excited to have opportunity to continue our series, Rhythms of Grace. I don't know if you follow me on social media. It's nothing if you don't, but if you do follow me, you'll know that I've been kind of MIA in the last uh, eight or nine days. We've actually been on family vacation. I posted once or twice about it. It's kind of an annual thing that a lot of people do, try to take some time off. I don't know about you, if you've gotten any opportunity to just, maybe it was just July the 4th, that just that day, or maybe it's some extended days, but it's a time of year that a lot of people take time off. We had one of the most epic family trips ever. It turned out to be one of those epic family trips we didn't know it was going to be. We went out west. And if you know anything about the West, you know it's beautiful. Um, You also know right now it's hot. I think it was actually hotter in Memphis this past week than it was out West. I looked at weather and I was like, well, how about that? I think we got the better end of the deal. Um, But it was hot. And we had our girls with us and it was a blast, like I said. But one of the things that uh, we did in the latter half of the week is we stayed at a property that had a pool. Anybody enjoy being in the pool in the summertime? Well, my girls absolutely love being in the pool. I think Caroline wishes that she were a mermaid. She absolutely loves swimming. She, it's hard to get her out of the pool. Emma and her personality, she just literally runs headfirst into the pool and we have to just constantly watch her. We're constantly anxious because we're like, oh my word, she has no idea of her own limits. But anyway, we had a blast in the pool. It was so hot though. It was one of those weeks where it was like so hot that like if you were outside, it was either like run quickly to your car where there's air conditioning or go just jump in the pool. Y'all know what I'm talking about? It was one of those weeks where out by the pool, you just had to be in the pool in order just to survive the heat. And it felt so, so good. There was this one place in the pool, though, that I was like, this is awesome. It was like this place where this like water slide, there was a water slide at this property and the girls loved that, but it like dumped out into the pool and it just gushed water, kind of like a little waterfall of water. And if there's any place that you wanted to be in the pool, it was like near this because it was a place where the like fresh water was like dumping into the pool and it literally kind of felt like you were in a cold version of a jacuzzi. Is that an awkward description? But it was literally like the, the most refreshing of refreshing places in the pool. Um, now, why do I tell you this story? I'm not usually that much of a storyteller, nor do I think that you particularly care about my personal vacations. But I tell you this story to say this. We are in this series called The Rhythms of Grace, and we're talking about spiritual habits. And what we've been saying throughout the series is that spiritual habits position us, y'all know the phrase, to what? To experience God's grace. So in other words, um, we have a God who willingly and joyfully and lavishly pours out grace upon undeserving people including you and and me. But there are ways in which we can make ourselves available to this ongoing outpouring of grace 
And we call these things, these very simple and ongoing things, spiritual habits. And they're all things for us to embrace. There are ways in which, okay, yes, all spiritual growth is 100% grace. Our whole life is a life that is owed to the grace of God. But we have to recognize that there are some things that we can do, some paths that we can take to be able to really experience God's grace in greater ways. So, the reason I told you about the pool is, while everyone has opportunity to be in the pool, okay, it would be a great choice to make to find your way to the most refreshing point of that pool where there's this fresh outpouring of water and it feels like a cold version of, of, of a jacuzzi on the most hot, sweltering day. And when you find that place, even though you can be anywhere in the pool, and being in the pool, even just the, the water itself is nice, wouldn't it be even nicer to be in the, in the best position to enjoy the fullness of what that pool has to offer? Does that work? Okay. Take it or leave it, I don't know. What I'm trying to say is, when you are in relationship with Jesus Christ, you are in God's grace. These spiritual habits are not about saving you. Salvation comes through Jesus Christ and our union with him as we repent of our self and sin and put our trust in him. Jesus and relationship with Jesus brings grace. And all of us, when we're in relationship with Jesus, are in the pool, so to speak. But the spiritual habits is an invitation for us to go, but hey, do you know that like once you're in the pool, there's this waterfall that's flowing. And if you could just like position yourself closer to that waterfall, like you could experience more of what this pool has to offer. Are you tracking? And so spiritual habits are an invitation for us to get ourselves to the waterfall, so to speak, of God's grace. We should all have an attitude. I want to find a way to experience God more. Don't you want to know God more? He's wonderful, friends. What an incredible gift. To, salvation is just the beginning point of knowing God. What an incredible gift to want to grow more and more relationship. We should all want to find our way to experience more and more of Jesus. And that's what this is about. These things that God has given us position us to experience more and more of Jesus. We've been talking about them in terms of three main categories, and we've been doing so using Acts 2.42, because it says in the scripture, and I'm going to be in a couple of places today in the Bible, I promise you this is a biblical sermon, and I expect and ask that you understand that when I put scriptures on the screen, I'm speaking of the word of God, I would exhort you, encourage you to go to the word as you see the word on the screen, and to really discern whether or not this teaching is truly from the Bible, because I don't want you to just take my word for it. I want you to hear God's word this morning. But in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it describes the early church as they were setting off uh, and forming themselves, says that they devoted themselves. In other words, they were very dedicated to three things. It says, to the apostles' teaching, that's the first thing. To the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, that's the second thing. And then it says, and the prayers. Now what we've been doing is saying in this series, we've been using a graphic and saying, look, we've got to be devoted 
to certain rhythms of grace. And if you can understand those three things from Acts 2.42, what they were devoted to is the word. They were devoted to church life, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and they were devoted to prayer. Those are the three basic things. And so what we've been doing is teaching what, how can we, how can you as a person be a person who is devoted to the word? And we taught that in the first third of the series. This month, what we're doing is saying, how can you as a person be devoted to prayer, to growing your own dependence upon God? That's what we're talking about in this section. And today I'm going to be teaching a message in line with that category. And then in the last third of the series, which will be next month, we'll finish out with talking about how we can be devoted to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, to, to church life. So this morning, I have the opportunity to continue our focus on how we can be devoted to prayer. And this morning, I'm going to be talking to you about one of the four disciplines of prayer life, and that is the discipline, the spiritual habit of fasting. Now, I know that even mentioning fasting can bring up complex thoughts, complex feelings, complex reactions. Uh, It is honestly one of the most misunderstood of all of the spiritual habits. And it's probably, in my guess, based on what I know of you, I've been here 12 years, I know myself, I think it's probably the least practiced of all of the spiritual habits of us as a people. It's kind of like um, if you were to go to a restaurant after church today and see taro root on the menu, you'd probably go, hmm, that, that sounds like it's probably healthy. But I don't think I'm going to order that. Okay? It's, it's fa- <laughs> fasting in some ways, I think is, we, we view it like that, where it's almost like we know it's good for us, but I'm not sure that we're going to seek it out. But you guys, what I want to tell you this morning is I think there is an opportunity in fasting. I, I, I'm joining you in that, in that sense of complexity, the sense of like maybe this is something that I don't really understand or not even know that I want to understand. But here's what I'm urging you to see is that there is an opportunity here that we need to understand. I, I, I'm not going to teach today in a way that's going to make you feel bad or put a heavy load on you to bear. I do pray for the Holy Spirit's conviction today, but my aim today is not to, to force you to give up food or something else. I want to rather today preach God's word faithfully and effectively so that you might hear an invitation from God to you. An invitation to learn to sit a little closer to the waterfall of His grace by exploring this particular habit. It's an invitation that I can testify to personally. It's an incredible opportunity for you. And the heart of what I'm going to be preaching today, the heart of God's Word for you in this habit, is an invitation to learn to wait upon the Lord. An invitation to learn greater dependence upon Him. 
In fact, I would describe it as an invitation to learn desperate dependence upon him. If you don't know this phrase, this phrase was used as one of the most popular teaching series in my tenure, um, but it's also more than that, just, and you can look it up online, a podcast, you can go find old sermon series, but it's, it's a phrase that reflects one of the key measures of our church. A measure reflects for us who we are becoming. How will we know when we trust and follow Jesus sincerely? What are the marks of an authentic follower of Jesus? One of the key marks that we're looking for in your life as your shepherds is, are you desperately dependent for the Lord? In other words, we'd say it like this. Prayer is not an activity, friends. It's a posture. It's a state of your heart. Pray without ceasing, the scripture says. It means there's this ongoing posture of desperation for God, and here's how we define it. A posture of abiding in God's presence. That's John 15. Abide in me. Make your dwelling place me. Depending upon his promises and longing for his power. What does it mean to be desperately dependent on the Lord? It means in your heart of hearts, there's this ongoing posture of abiding with him, depending upon him and what he's promised, and longing for the things that only God can do. That's what it means to be desperate and dependent upon the Lord, and that's what God wants for all of us. And here in this particular spiritual habit that I want to teach you this morning, there's an invitation. Would you be willing to come a little closer to the waterfall of God's grace and just to learn, maybe just to be open, maybe to put down your ideas of, or, or your fears or your anxiety and just to say, God, I'm open to learn a way in which I can grow to be a person of greater desperation and dependence upon you. That's the invitation this morning. So I say all that to say, today we're talking about fasting. There's a three-part outline that I'm going to go through this morning as I teach. And it's very simple, and I hope you'll take notes. Number one, we're going to talk about what is fasting. Number two, we're going to talk about why is fasting important. And number three, I'm going to try to answer the question that you will probably ask me, how can I fast? And I'm going to do it with less specificity and more generality from the principles of the Scripture. So number one, what is fasting? Number two, why is fasting important? And number three, how can I fast? I want to start out by looking at the first question, which is what is fasting? I want to do that by pointing your attention, if you've got your Bible, to Matthew chapter 6, verse 16 through 18. We're going to look at two chapters right together in Matthew, so I would encourage you to go ahead and get them open. Matthew chapter 6. Verses 16 to 18. Both of the passages that I've chosen this morning to explain what fasting is come from the Gospels, the four books that describe the life, the teaching, the purpose of Jesus most directly. And here in Matthew chapter 16, we have the words of Jesus in the course of his sermon on the mount. And he says this, And when you fast... Do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting 
may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. The key phrase that I want you to notice, it happens once there in verse 16, the second word in the ESV, and then it happens again in that last verse. Two different times he uses the phrase, and when you fast. Did you all notice that? Do you see that in your scripture? And when you fast. Now he's talking to his disciples, his followers, he's talking to us. And interestingly, there's an entirely different, you just have to go trust me on this, but in the original language, in the Greek, there's an entirely different word for if than there is for when, just like in our language. So your translation is very helpful to you here because what Jesus is doing is he's actually saying, hey, um, it, you know, just like with praying or just like with giving that he talks about in the other parts of this passage, the same thing with fasting. When you fast, like this this is not just an if thing. It's not like a menu thing where you're just going, you know, with a terror route, like, oh, it looks good, but I don't, I don't really think I'm going to do it. No, Jesus is going, but when you do this, in other words, he's saying, like, this is actually a normal part of what it looks like to trust and follow me. There's an assumption that he's making that we understand that part of what it looks like to sit under the waterfall as grace is, is to choose to practice this habit. It's not a habit for like the super spiritual. So we need to lean in and go, oh. So he's making the assumption that I understand that, that, that this is something I should be doing. Yes. Now flip over to Matthew chapter 9, verses 14 and 15. Maybe even clearer is this passage. Jesus again Speaking to his disciples, it says, And the disciples of John came to him saying, oh, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? In other words, it's not looking like they are practicing the fullness of fasting that was expected. But Jesus said to them, Well, can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. So again, what Jesus is teaching here is he's going, wait, wait, don't think that my disciples are just going to neglect fasting altogether. Like right now I'm with them, but there's coming a day that I'm not going to be with them physically. He's speaking of those who were with him physically at the time. And when that day comes, he's referring to the day he would ascend to the Father, then there's going to be something that you'll see amidst my disciples, then they will fast. And the question I would ask you is would that mark your discipleship of Jesus because Jesus is saying that will mark my disciples. And I, again, I'm not trying to make you feel guilty, but I do think there's a Holy Spirit conviction that's needed here to go, hey, there is something here that maybe we need to be attentive to because Jesus is saying this should be reflective of, of what it looks like in a normal way to, to follow him. I could point to other passages but I do just want to say in broad scope, and we'll look at some others as we go here, 
But this is clear. Fasting is clear. It's a clear pattern of the people of God in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. You could go all the way back to the earliest books of the Bible. You could find Moses fasting as he received the Ten Commandments. You can find the people of Israel fasting as they waited upon the Lord and sought the Lord. You could find in the book of Jonah how God brought repentance through fasting in Nineveh. You could look at the life, the person, the ministry of David, like we studied in the last few years, First and Second Samuel, full of accounts of fasting. You could look at Ezra. You could look at Nehemiah. You could look at Jesus, how he started his ministry, which we'll talk about in just a second. You can, for those who go, well, I don't know, fasting is like this Old Testament thing. We're in the new covenant of grace. I don't know about fasting today. Well, look at Acts. Look at Acts 9.9, amidst others. And you can see that even for those who are in the covenant of grace in Jesus Christ, they're this continued habit that the people of God have had, and that is choosing to posture themselves in desperate dependence upon God through the practice of fasting. So, I've told you that it's a biblical habit, but I still haven't answered the question, like, what is it, okay? So I want to go ahead and answer the question, what is fasting? I want to offer to you a basic definition, and it's this. Fasting is abstaining from something regular and good to increase reliance on God. Fasting is the habit of abstaining from something regular and and good to increase reliance on God. I want to break this down for you so that I can help you understand a little bit better. The first phrase, don't get worried. I'm just going to leave it up here. Just going to add some underlines so those of you who are still writing, please don't be anxious. The first phrase is abstaining from something regular and good. Um, this is, in essence, what it looks like to practice fast, okay? Most of us, when we think of fasting, we think of giving up what? Food. That's right. Most of us think about giving up food, and it is the most normative way of practicing a fast as you survey the scripture. So what you'll find again and again, like with Jesus in Luke chapter 4, which we'll look at in just a moment, it describes how he went without food for a period of 40 days. Again, we see this many, many times over in the scripture. I don't have all the time this morning, but I know that you trust me. You can look at it for yourself, and I would encourage you to, but it is most normative. But I do want to say that there are other ways to fast. I'll put some of them up here on the screen. And in case you wonder if I'm just making this up, I'm not. Like, for instance, 1 Corinthians chapter 7 describes how merit married couples can abstain from sexual relationship for a time for the purpose of seeking more of God. So what we know is that there are, there are ways in which we can identify things in our life that are regular things, that are good things, and choose to give those things up. So for instance, um, maybe it's a favorite drink before bedtime or a favorite smoothie in the mornings that you look forward to. And you go, hmm, maybe that's something I could give up. It may not be 
you know, cinnamon toast crunch. It may just be a smoothie. Or it may be choosing to like turn off your TV. Or to literally spend the day. Some of y'all are going to freak out when I say this. To spend the day without turning on your phone. Or maybe it's cutting off Netflix. Or maybe it's choosing to delete your Facebook app and your Instagram app and your Twitter app and your ESPN app and your weather app that you keep checking even though it is still hot and it's not going to change. <laughs> Maybe it's a particular habit that you enjoy. Maybe it's socialization. Ooh, some of y'all extroverts are going to freak out. When you look at a biblical fast, they're fasting from food. Food was so tied to the social life that a choice to fast was a choice to give up social connectivity. Solitude is something that we all need to learn. Maybe it's not going to social events for a season. Maybe it's overworking. Maybe it's the habit of giving unsolicited advice to other people. Maybe it's shopping or hoarding things or maybe some other kind of addiction. The first part of a fast is you've got to identify what is regular and good and, and there's a choice always in a fast to abstain from that. Okay? Now the second part of the definition, I'll go back to it, is to increase reliance on God. Now this is incredibly important. And the reason I'm saying this is incredibly important is because this is where most people get fasting wrong. Fasting is primarily about God. Fasting is about a choice to offer the fullness of our dependency upon God. Fasting is not to lose more pounds. Fasting is to rely on God. Fasting is not to get ready for Mardi Gras or some other plan in self-indulgence. Fasting is to get ready for God. Fasting does not have an eye to self, not at all. The eyes of a biblical fast is holy to the Lord. This is why in the Bible, over and over and over, when you see fasting, it's usually coupled with another word. It's usually described as fast and what? And pray. Fast and pray. So for instance, Matthew chapter 17, verse 21. If you still open to Matthew, you can just flip over a few chapters, look at it. Some translations put 21 down to the footnote. We can talk about that later. But he says here, this kind, Jesus says, never comes out except by prayer and fasting. Similar phraseology is used in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 that I've already referenced. You, you go look it up. Prayer and fasting go hand in hand like peas and carrots, like Father Scump said. Prayer and fasting, right? They just go together. Now, what's the deal with that? To help you know something about what it means to actually fast. Fasting, think of it as this. Fasting is detachment from the world. And prayer is about attachment to God. 
So you can't really understand a fast. Fasting is not just the choice to abstain from something regular and good. Yes, it is. Abstaining from something regular and good. That is an essential component of the, of the fast. But friends, if you don't get the reality that with the abstaining, the detaching, and the same act has got to be using all the energy that you had maybe put in the other thing or the time you put in the other thing or the resources or the dedicated focus of your mind, of your heart, of your body, whatever it is, if you don't at the same time while giving that up, then choose to turn and give that of yourself to God, then you're not practicing fast. It is detaching from the world and attaching to God. I've got some cheesy little phrases for you. It wouldn't be a good Barrett sermon if I didn't try my hardest to come up with some cheesy phrases. Um, if you like them, take them. If you don't, please don't criticize me. If you want another way to think about this, here's another way. Abstaining for gaining. How's that for a cheesy phrase? Abstaining for gaining. I'm trying to help you later to, to know how to walk into this practically. In other words, here's what we're talking about. A difficult choice to live in full relinquishment of something that you commonly enjoy. That's abstaining. But the gaining is to learn full dependency upon God. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to not turn to Facebook every five minutes and wonder what notification has popped up or turn to the weather app every hour to wonder if it's a, a degree warmer. Rather, I'm going to put all that aside. I'm going to abstain from that for the opportunity. When, when, my, when, I, when I get in those moments where I just need a break or, or I'm starting to feel anxious, I'm going to turn instead to God. Another cheesy phrase, here it is. Please don't judge me. Fasting for feasting. Anybody like that one? Okay, good. I, I thought so. No one. Um, the point is, you go fasting or feasting. I thought it's about giving up food. Yes, it is. But what we're talking about here, we're called to fast from food. But you've got to see that it, the, the fast from food is about the opportunity to feast upon a better food. Jesus talks about this in John 6. He is true food. So we're giving up food or something else regular and good so that we might feast upon a better food. And that better food is Jesus Christ, the living God. That's what we're talking about. Fasting is not about your gut. Fasting is about God. And, and I think there's a lot of misunderstanding around it. The heart of fasting is to give yourself more and more and more to God. Now, I want to go, everybody got the definition? Can y'all say it with me just so that I'm, I feel better before I move on to point two? All right, here we go. What is fasting? Abstaining from something regular and good to increase reliance on God. Okay, that's a biblical fast. Now, number two, why is fasting important? What's the big deal here? Well, couple of things, actually three things that I'll give you, and I'll try to make these plain. 
Number one is we need to fast for strength. We need to fast for strength. Now, you might go, wait a second. I thought every time I've tried to fast, I feel weak. Anybody? Anybody there? As soon as I go two meals without eating, I start getting the jitteries. Anybody there? Going a whole day? Are you kidding me? Going without Facebook? Do you know how anxious that makes me feel, Pastor Barrett? You mean I shouldn't check the weather when I get up? I can't watch my favorite show tonight? Are you kidding me? Going without going to the parties I've been invited to this weekend or whatever else that's regular and good that you choose to abstain from. That feels weak in a way that's true. But here's what I want to offer to you. It's actually spiritual strength. Jesus in Luke chapter 4, verses 1 to 3, full of the Holy Spirit, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan. He's just been baptized. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. And he's led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. 40 days. Anybody here done a 40-day fast? I don't really want you to show your hands, okay? But I would guess that not many have gone this long without food. Can you imagine physically... We might go, whoa, like he's at his weakest point here. This is a, from our view, we go, dang, like how vulnerable he was here. But look at what, how, look at what happened. At the height of, of Jesus' fiercest temptation, direct encounter with the devil, as the devil tempts him again and again and again in this passage, and we're not studying this passage today, I can't go through all of it. But he begins to tempt Jesus. And what we see here is that the fast, the 40 days without food, has actually positioned Jesus not to be at his weakest. Maybe physically he was feeling weak, but spiritually we see a lion. The lion of Judah. We see Jesus respond to every temptation with articulate answers from the scripture, with spiritual strength, with total victory. What looks like it could be his weakest point is actually according to the scripture and your own view of it. You have to go, wow, that is his strongest point. Now, what is this about? Here's the thing. Fasting forms us to not be driven by our appetites, but to be driven to God. If you want to understand why it's important, why it's strong, here, here's the thing. Our regular habits, even the good ones, can become distractions from what matter most. Y'all know that, right? Our relationship with God, the great commandment, love him with our everything. Tim Keller says the human heart takes good things and turns them into ultimate things. The heart is an idol factory. So here's what happens in fasting. Fasting helps expose the many distractions, the many idolatrous things that are likely present in your life right now and my life too. Fasting is a, the abstaining is a sacrifice and that sacrifice exposes weakness. It does. But when we feel our weakness from, for instance, hunger, or maybe it's 
from the control that a particular habit had over us, when we feel that anxiety or we feel whatever that is, that weakness is in our flesh, it moves us to humility. We're humbled. And when we're humbled, here's what happens. We hunger after God, after true food. When we're weak, we run to God for His strength. When we're humbled, He opens our eyes more to who He is. That He is God and that we are not. Fasting forms us not to be driven by our appetites, but to be driven to God. In other words, we deny comfort so that we can gain divine consolation. So in fasting, we are denying comfort that we usually find in good things. How many of you feel comforted by the fact that you know in just a few hours you're about to eat? And when that gets taken away from you, you're going, oh crap, what am I doing this afternoon? How often does food, even something so simple as food, the thought of a next meal give us comfort? And yet when it's taken away and we still long for that comfort, how many of us would need to go more to God? How many other things in our lives are like that? So in fasting, we're denying the things that we so often turn to, and in our weakness, our sense of desperation, we're humbled in that, and we're driven toward God for the satisfaction, the consolation, and the strength that He and only He can provide. Secondly, we can fast for focus. We can fast for focus. My experience recently, you guys, you all know when I'm sabbatical, good gracious, was it hard? I decided that I was going to get... told the story before to some of you, but like a burner phone where I was going to delete all of my communication, all of my access to internet, all of my uh, social media, and just be alone with God on top of this mountain with intermittent access by phone to those who I love. And oh my word, I was going through what felt like withdrawals, like addictive kind of like I'm breaking an addiction and going through withdrawals. I had no idea the control that technology had over me. So many of us, we live with so many constant distractions all around us, cell phones in our hands. We fill even the most quiet moments with anything. We feel compelled to constantly check our emails and our social media and our Twitter to make sure that we're contact moment by moment with the news. What happened in Japan this week? What's happening in in England this week? What's happening in Chicago this week? We want to make sure the weather hasn't changed. I've talked about that. We want to feel that we are in control of our wandering hearts. Temptations all around us and our desires and our focus wander off. It's almost like spiritual amnesia grips us and the busyness of all we are. We forget who we really are, what we've been given. We forget God. One of the things I learned on sabbatical was even the choice to deny my addictive tendency to just have something in my hand all the time that I could control actually gave me the opportunity to be more focused upon God. Paul David Tripp says it like this. He says, fasting can be spiritually arresting, a divine interruption that is one of God's tools to call us back, to remember, to confess, to rest, to commit, and to celebrate. Fasting is one of the ways God reaches down into our frenetic lives and pulls us out to be closer to him. Fasting is much more of a welcome than it is a regulation. 
It is a gift from a God who knows us. He knows how we operate, what we face, and what we need. Fasting is God's invitation to all of his children to refocus, to recharge, to re-engage, and to repent. Lastly, I'll say that fasting is for spiritual warfare. Fasting is for spiritual warfare. And what I mean by this is fasting is an opportunity for us to learn to keep our whole heart with God. To keep our whole heart with God. I'm going to put up a list of things here on the screen because what I want you to see here in the Bible is that there is this opportunity with fasting to, to, to hunger for God in all seasons and in all situations of our lives. Um, one of the things that happens in fasting is you, your, your dependence shifts. It shifts away from self. It shifts away from self-indulgences. It shifts away from distractions or temptations. It shifts away from sin. And your whole heart, your whole heart has the opportunity to become fixated and fulfilled in God. The whole body, it's almost like your whole body can come in line, all right? Uh, we're unique in that we're psychosomatic creatures. And our whole body and soul integrally connected. And in fasting, what happens is our whole body can express yearning for God. Our body aligns with our soul. Our whole body can express desire for God and delight in God. In the Bible, what we see is often fasting. Um, it's interesting, when, when I was studying it, you can pursue fasting in like one of two ways. Is it going to be like a discipline, like you do this every Monday? Or is it more like situational? And by and large in the Bible, it seems to be primarily situational. In other words, when there are specific things that are rising in your life where you're like, I need God. The invitation to fast is an invitation in those specific situations to turn to God and to sit under the waterfall of his grace. To dedicate yourself by detaching from the world and attaching yourself more to him for the very thing that you're needing and what you're specifically going through situationally. So in the Bible, you see here on this list, like in Ezra, chapter 8, 23, it says, so we fasted and implored our God and he listened to our entreaty, which tells us that when we're desperate for God to act, anybody in this room right now desperate for God to act in a specific way? Would you consider, would you just consider the invitation to a fast? Would you consider the opportunity to detach a little more from things that you might turn to other than God and to Give yourself a little bit more focused attention to God. And when you do that, the Bible says that there are times in which you'll experience more of God. It's not a coin machine. You put this in, you put your fast in, you turn the thing in, and then he pops something out. That's not the way God works. But we're talking about if you're truly hungry for God, if you're desperate for God, why would you not want to give yourself a little more in this habit in a way that can increase your dependency upon him and your experience of him. Secondly, if you need to know God's will, 
I mentioned these passages in Acts chapter 13. It talks about before they sent off Barnabas and Saul, it says they were worshiping the Lord and fasting. And then the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul. Same thing happened in Acts chapter 14. When they were appointing elders in churches, they were fasting and praying. When you need to know something, anybody in the room this morning, there's an area of your life where you're like, I want to know what God says about this. Give yourself to the invitation to fast and pray to learn more of him. Friends, you're not doing this to get something out of God as much as you're doing this to say, oh God, would you align my will to your will? You're not trying to manipulate God with your fast. You're trying to say, God, I know that my perspective is all askew because I'm giving myself to a million things. And God, if I were to dedicate myself to you, to really know you and to hear your heart, I know, God, that I'll know what to do. That's what it looks like. When you face temptation, Jesus showed us that in Luke chapter 4. When you need deliverance, Judges chapter 20, verse 26. Look at it later. Their backs press up against the wall. They fast and prayed, and God gives deliverance. When you're interceding for other people, this is what Jesus is saying in Matthew chapter 17. Listen, friends, there are some situations... There's some situations the disciples are going, dang, like this is like spiritual bondage that we hadn't seen. What do we do here? Jesus is like, well, this ministry to this other person is only going to be possible if you're like more wholly dedicated to me. Fast and pray. There's some things, guys, that we just need more of God. And by detaching ourselves from things that we might be tempted to turn to as consolation, when we're in a really hard place or people in our life are going through a really hard time and we want to distract ourselves with Facebook or we want to numb our pain with alcohol or we want to just get busy so we don't have to think about it with a particular habit or with social life. No, no, no. God's saying, if you really want to see me act in another life, I'm inviting you to not just turn quickly to what's easy, but to really give yourself in a dedicated way to turn toward me so that you can see the things that only I can do. When you desire repentance, look at Joel chapter 2, verses 12 to 13. He says, yet even now, return to me with all of your heart, with fasting, weeping, mourning. Rend your hearts to me, not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he's gracious and merciful. You can show your desire to come back to God by saying yes to the invitation to fast. When you long for renewal, Nehemiah chapter 1, at the beginning of the book, as he sat and heard of the brokenness, he fasted and mourned for days, longing for something that he knew he couldn't do. Things were so broken within him, outside of him, and he longed for something that only God can do, and he responded to the invitation to give up the easy consolation and to go to the true consolation who is God. Y'all get it? So, why do we fast? (laughs) It's pretty clear, right? We fast for strength. We fast for focus, and we fast for spiritual warfare. And I'll close this morning by describing how we can fast. As I close today, what, I want to just tell you, like, I don't want to, I actually am trying to resist temptation this morning to, like, go, Here's five steps to this and three steps to that. You should do it on Mondays and you should give up 
this amount of food and drink this number of liters of water, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's not in the Bible. So I want to offer to you what I do see in the Bible. Number one is you need to fast. How you can fast? You got to fast from humility, from a place of humility. You got to be desperate for him. This is, this is just religion if it's not from, your, from a humble and desperate place. This is just like activity. Luke chapter 18, Jesus tells a story, and I'm going to paraphrase it. It'll be here on the screen. About two men that went up to the temple, one of them was a religious person, very religious, a Pharisee, and the other was a tax collector, a very bad person. The Pharisee was standing over by himself, and he's like, God, thank you that I'm not like these horrible people. These extortioners, unjust, adulterers, even like this tax collector, because I fast twice a week, Mondays and Thursdays. I added that in. That's in the message version, not the ESV, excuse me. I give tithes of all that I get. And then he goes on. So you got this religious guy going, I'm from a faster. But this sinful person over in the corner, standing afar off, doesn't even lift up his eyes to heaven. He's beating his breast. He's desperate, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus says, I tell you, this man, the sinner, the one who just had a humble heart, not the one who's been over here bragging about his fast, but the one who's humble in heart. This man went down to his house justified, made right with God, rather than the other. In other words, this religious guy who's proud of his fasting is not right with God. And then he says this, For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. How do you fast? I don't know what to tell you other than humble yourself before the Lord. I just wonder, like, how many of us are in the specific situations we're facing are really that desperate for God? Fasting is not about Mondays and Thursdays. Fasting is about, do you want God? <laughs> do you really want Him? The invitation in fasting is come. Seek it more by learning this. Secondly, it's from the heart. Fasting is about God alone. <laughs> It's for him alone and it's focused on him alone. I go back to the passage from Matthew chapter 6 when he tells his disciples, but when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face. Don't you let other people see you fasting because your father sees you in secret and the one who sees you in secret will reward you. In other words, don't make fasting some, you know, well, I'm fasting today. I'm sorry, I can't come to the party. I'm fasting, you know. No, no. If you're going to fast, do it quietly and do it for the Lord, not for any acknowledgement of other people. And fill your fast. I want to remind you again, fasting has got to be more than abstaining. It's about abstaining and then using the time that you're not checking Facebook. Every time you have a temptation to check Facebook, you go to God and you pray, or you go to God in the Word, or you go to God with a song. When you're fasting, you fill the time that you are abstaining with more of God. Okay, so that's the other thing. And then finally, I just say, you got to fast from honesty. And here's going to be the kicker. Ooh, sorry. But I just wonder in your life right now, I just wonder right now in your life, the situations that you're going through, some of, some of you guys are going through some hard times. 
something specific and you're like, why is this happening? And I wonder, might God be trying to get your attention? And I wonder in your life right now, what are the things that are most distracting you from God? What are the things that you're looking to for comfort or for satisfaction or for consolation or distraction somewhere else? And I wonder how you might could consider an invitation to learn to give that up, to become more desperate for what only God can give. When we learn lessons in life that force us to go, God, you're all I have, we can learn true contentment and joy in life because when God is all we have, we learn that he is all we need. And that's the joy of fasting. I close this morning by choosing to show you a video. This is not normal for me. This is a video from a man named Maurice, who was the first ever chaplain of St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. He used to be an associational director here in the Memphis area, working with, well, Tom Crocker knows him personally. He went to college with Tom. Is that right, Tom? Maurice gave a testimony by video at Exponential Conference, which is a conference I attended with several others from our church, a conference that was attended by around 10,000 pastors and church planners this past year in Orlando. And he speaks in this video about a situation that God put him in in life where he had to learn desperation for God. This video touched me deeply, and I close by allowing you to hear this testimony and encouraging you to consider what would it look like for you to be desperate for God too. Watch this video from Exponential. I grew up in the Baptist church, so we were taught Father, Son, Holy Bible. So the third member of the Trinity was, was not always actively taught about or, or expressed, but um, when I was a kid, um, God spoke to my, to my mother and father and called them to be missionaries. We moved to Kuwait when I was 10 years old in 1990. Uh, we arrived in May of 1990, and nobody knew anything about Kuwait. It was just this little dot on this map in the Middle East. But three months later, on August 2nd, 1990, Saddam Hussein and Iraqi troops, the fourth largest army in the world, invaded Kuwait, and we were living right downtown. The soldiers came into our home and sexually assaulted my wife. And, and so we knew we had to leave quickly. Uh, I was held downstairs by gunpoint, uh, AK-47 to my chest. And, and so I didn't see this. But when I came back up the steps uh, into the apartment, um, you know, it was obvious everybody was traumatized. And so I... I gather everybody together and we all jump in a car and drove out of this uh, downtown. Now, my car was shot up. There was actually a bullet in the hub of the car that didn't blow the tire out. And as we're leaving, you know, dead soldiers all around us. And then we turn between the, the church compound and the um, apartment building and there are Iraqi soldiers all around us. And we drove right through the middle of them as if God blinded them. Because being the, the minister in the community and also being a therapist, uh, uh, George H. Bush asked if I would come into the embassy. Within a few days, the embassy got locked down. They eventually turn off the water, the fresh water, and the and electricity to get us out. Uh, heat was 120 degrees, um, very hot. 
um, and no air conditioning. So we, we endure that. But the hardest part, I think, came six weeks later when uh, Lori and uh, Peter and Aaron uh, left the embassy and I turned them over to Iraqi soldiers to take to, to the airport. Um, those are, are hard moments, even this been 30 years later. When your family leave, you feel abandoned, okay? And the days after that to, to you know, deal with things like, okay, how many body bags do you have? We don't have any. Well, if you're coming to rescue us, we only need X number of body bags because we all are not going to survive. And then turn to God, God, if my life is taken, are you gonna take care of the boys? Are you gonna take care of the wife? Can I trust you? What was going on in the background of the story that I didn't know was thousands and thousands and hundreds of thousands of people were praying for me personally. Um, I didn't have any idea. My mom, my brother and I now were back in Nashville living and it was coming up for the Lottie Moon Christmas offering that the International Mission Board of the Southern Baptist Convention puts together a week of prayer leading into this big offering every December. And there were literally millions of, of, of Christians all throughout the country that were praying specifically for Maurice Graham to be released from being a hostage in Kuwait in 1990. So there's a story about another king who lived in the same area of the world, um, King Nebuchadnezzar, who was a pretty wicked and evil leader, but God troubled his spirits and the dreams and he was confused and he didn't know what to do with it and God raised up Daniel to help him interpret the, the dreams and God even used Nebuchadnezzar at times to advance his purposes even though he wasn't really surrendered completely to God. Well, thousands of years later, the same thing happened with Saddam Hussein, that he began to not be able to sleep at night. He would wake up and say that God had been troubling his spirits, that he had been having these dreams. And one day in early December, he called his cabinet together and said, um, my, my, I haven't been able to sleep. My spirits have been so troubled. And he ordered all of the hostages in Kuwait and Iraq to be immediately released. On uh, December the 7th, the second person uh, in charge in the embassy uh, came to me and handed me a little note. And the note says something like, Saddam Hussein woke up this morning and God had troubled his dreams and he was uh, going to release all the hostages. I thought she was playing a joke on me. And she said, no, you, we were being released. And I still didn't believe it. You have to understand the political context of that day to understand how radical that decision was because he had no incentive, no political, no financial incentive to release the hostages because it was the only thing preventing the rest of the world from coming into Kuwait and driving him back into Iraq. And so even um, later when my dad got to meet former president H.W. Bush, you know, it really, and in Secretary of State James Baker, they did not have a diplomatic explanation and it was confirmed that, that Saddam Hussein indeed complained about these dreams that were troubling his spirit. And so for me at 10 years old, it really built up my faith to believe that God can move on the hearts of even the world's most evil leaders. So some people would say that my parents weren't very responsible parents for taking me to Liberia where a civil war broke out and then to Kuwait 
where the Persian Gulf War broke out. We lost all of our stuff in both wars. But rather than it taking me further from God, it actually helped take me closer to God. And God put a call in on my wife Amy and I's um, life to, to be in urban ministry and to be in church planning. And for us, that meant planting the district church in our home with very few resources, with a heart to move um, towards the hard places of this city and to be the hands and feet of Christ. But I believe that God is looking for people who are willing to move towards the hard places and stay even when it's hard and trust that the Holy Spirit still speaks and confirms his promises in our lives. Thank you again for joining us for today's Bible teaching from Island Community Church in downtown Memphis. We want to encourage you to join us in person for worship soon. No podcast can ever replace the good design of God in gathering in person with other believers for worship in a local church. For more gospel resources and ways to connect with ICC, you can visit us at iccmemphis.com. As we close, we offer a prayer of blessing for you from Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Thanks again for joining us.